Pure Dog Talk is the voice of purebred dogs. We talk to the legends of the sport and give you the tips and tools to create an awesome life with your purebred dog. From showing to preservation breeding, from competitive obedience to field work, from agility to therapy dogs, and all the fun in between, your passion is our purpose. All right, you guys, Embark for Breeders is celebrating DNA week all month. Visit EmbarkVet.com backslash breeders and use the code PUREDOGTALK to enjoy $20 off each Embark for Breeders dog DNA kit. Pair Predictor is the newest feature in a suite of breeder tools available with the My Embark for Breeders online experience. Just pick a sire and dam from your account and view the predictions for producing clear, carrier, or at-risk dogs for specific genetic health conditions. The Embark for Breeders Dog DNA Kit tests for 210 genetic health conditions, highlights breed-specific results, includes 35 traits, such as coat color and body size, and is the only DNA test to use a COI percentage score. Your test results also come with a downloadable OFA submission report. Find out why responsible breeders trust Embark to enhance their breeding program. Right now, you can save on the most accurate, most comprehensive dog DNA kit. Just visit EmbarkVet.com backslash breeders and use code PUREDOGTALK to take $20 off each Embark for Breeders dog DNA kit in your order. That's EmbarkVet.com backslash breeders and use the code PUREDOGTALK. Welcome to Pure Dog Talk. I am your host, Laura Reeves, and this is going to be great. We are having Rare Breeds Month here in April, and today I am being joined by Marlene Volter and Susan Martin, and we are going to be discussing Quaker Hungian. Did I get it right, you guys? <laughs> Close. Okay. For not being Dutch, I'm going to call it good. And these are the most adorable little dogs added to the sporting group in 2018. You guys just reminded me. And so we are going to have an absolute fabulous conversation about this really unique little breed in the sporting group. So welcome, ladies. I'm super happy to have you here joining us. Glad to be here. Thank you for having us. Excellent. So we're going to start, and I think we decided, Susan, you were like the queen of the history. So we're going to start with, what is a Quaker, right? And we call them Quakers. Is that like a common and acceptable shorthand for your breed? Many call them Quakers, yes. Okay. And so tell us all about them, where they come from, what they did, how they came to be here. Okay. Let me try to summarize this. The Nederlandse Quaker Hantje is a rare Dutch breed. You can find them in old Dutch paintings from the 16, 17, 1800s. Wow. You can see little red and white spaniel-sized dogs in the paintings mm-hmm. in many history museums around the world, actually. Mm-hmm. And the Baroness von Hardenbrock was the first one in the 1930s, early 1940s, who took on the task of truly saving and actually starting the breeding lines. Mm-hmm. And the thought is that they go back to roughly around 13 foundation dogs. 
Wow. And she started a breeding program. She started also asking merchants. They traveled back from Spain and from other European countries to look out for a very specific dog that fit into that profile. And at that point, she also started a registry. So basically writing okay. down her foundation dogs, the litters they produced, the amount of puppies, a description of the dogs. And that is continued up until today. And the Dutch Quaker Hunchy Club, the VHNK, mm-hmm. the Het Nederlandse Quaker Hunchy Association, they continue this registry that the Baroness had originally started. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And so do we know, do we have the history on the breed? What was their job? What were they asked to do by the Dutch people? They had many different jobs, mainly on the farms mm-hmm. and in the Endenkoi. So on the farms, they were known to hunt for vermin, mice, rats. Oh, wow. They have a prey drive. Many of them do. And in the Endenkoi, that is a duck pond. Okay. And duck, quote unquote, hunters. Mm-hmm. The duck pond has a central pond place, and then it has arms. And those arms, they taper off towards the end, and they end up in a basket. Those arms have screens set up, parallel screens on both sides. And they're covered, so they are dark. And house or domesticated ducks and wild ducks gather in the middle of the pond. And then they follow the Quaker who is weaving in and out around those screens with the white feathery tail to the very end. And at the end, there is light. And the wild ducks think they can swim through and fly out. And then they get caught in the basket. Oh, my God. Yeah, this is how the dog learned to lure the ducks into the trap. So the they are almost, in a way, closer, for those of us who are familiar, closer to the task, if you will, of a toller, Nova right. Scotia duck tolling retriever, right? They're luring the ducks rather yeah. than, you know, retrieving yeah. them when they fly over and are shot. That is correct. Yes. And... <sighs> You can see in even in today's time when we walk our dogs and they have this white plush feathery tail, it does attract or it catches the ducks and other animals' eyes. I don't think a Quaker in today's time is aware of that. So they're pretty oblivious most of the time to ducks. They might even hunt them, go after them. But back then, so this Endenkoi was a very quiet place where the Koi bus the manager of the koi or the hunter and their dog worked together in tandem. So the koi bat stands behind the screens while the dog is weaving in and out to lure them further into What a fascinating history. I love that. And they've been doing that in the Dutch communities for hundreds of years. Right. Yes, about oh about gosh. there. Today, still some Indian Koi's exist, and they are mainly for historical purposes and mm-hmm. for preservation and natural conservancy purposes. Mm-hmm. And some of them still have a Koi bass and a Quaker actually working in the Indian Koi. Oh, my God. That is amazing. Okay, so I'm already enamored, and I can't wait. I 
mentioned earlier, I'm planning to come. The Quaker National Specialty is going to be in Oregon. So I'm planning to be there and see all these little dogs. I'm very excited. And do we know sort of what their background, like what breeds, what was used to develop this particular skill set in these dogs? That is a good question. I mean, oftentimes the dog is described as a spaniel type dog. Mm -hmm. The background, I don't think we know a lot where exactly the dogs come from or what working tasks they had. Right. So I think it's a mix of a bunch of different backgrounds, especially they came also from different European countries. And then she developed the club and her breeding lines. Oh, interesting. There is a theory that the Quaker Hontier is part of the foundation for the Nova Scotia Duck Trolling Retriever and the Cavalier King Charles. But I don't know if that we have proof, proof of, that. of that. Right, right, right. Well, like I said, the luring concept, which until I learned about tollers, I mean, I grew up in sporting dogs. I didn't even know this was a thing. I mean, it's just so <laughs> fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. Okay. So a fascinating long history. And Marlene, you have become newly introduced to this breed. Talk to us about how you find them as companions, how they fit into your home, activity level, grooming, those sorts of things. Sure. Well, like you said, you're so interested in rare breeds. I have always had dogs, German Shepherds, different breeds, and started thinking about a new smaller dog. But I still like the sporting kind of qualities, the temperament of sporting dogs. Mm-hmm. And I had Brittany's in the past and so forth. And sure enough, a friend of mine showed me a picture of a drawing, not even an actual Quaker, and said, are you looking for this? And I started reading about it. And I'm like, okay, the male stands withers at 16 inches. So it's not like a little toy It's not dog. a cocker, right. but it's not a Brittany. Right, exactly. And then I read about the history of it. And of course, I love the paintings, the Dutch paintings. So that, of course, was attractive to me as well. And believe it or not, we live in the country. And one of our problems is critters climbing up into the engines of our cars. I live, I feel it. (laughs) My husband goes, well, if these are kind of ratters, will they go and hunt and keep the rabbits and keep the stuff out of our cars? So that was one of the original things we were actually thinking of. It was crazy. Awesome. So I fell in love with how pretty they are. First of all, they're really beautiful and attractive. And sure enough, I get my first Quaker and every morning he goes out and he goes around all the cars and checks and he finds like, he'll tell me, he'll say, uh, 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 I'll open the hood. And sure enough, you know, running out. So he saved me a ton of money and electronic (laughs) repair. (laughs) I so feel that. Yes, that is amazing. So talk to us about, because they are a very, I guess I would say convenient size, right? Great size. And the coat, that is a single coat. That's not a lot of grooming, right? Right. It's a double coat. So what's interesting about it is, so I, I said, well, you know, I kind of would be interested in showing a dog. I've never done that before. I'd like to work in agility. I've done a little bit of that, but not very much. So this dog that's very versatile as far as working as a companion dog and also has sort of this independent quality. Mm -hmm. Agility is like hand in glove, just loves it. 
easy to train. Oh, perfect. And then in the dog shows, we just use some of the games that we learned from agility. Mm -hmm. And he's out there so excited, loving to be shown at the confirmation shows. And then I got to experience that as well. So the coat, that's a good question. It's a double coat. So it's weatherproof. He'll go out, my dog Harvey, he'll go out, run around in the mud, and you can go and set him away, sometimes not even showered him off or anything at all. He's just full of mud. Half hour later, all the mud is on the ground and his coat is completely white. That's the coat. I grew up with Clumber Spaniels. It's a very similar coat. Like it just falls off. No, yeah. there's still vacuuming to be done, but... Yes. <laughs> Okay, so it is a double coat. It's a flat line coat. Mm -hmm. It's always white. Talk to us a little bit about you're going to see a Quaker. It's going to look like something you don't understand what it is. So give us some of the hallmarks. Like, how do we know we're looking at a Quaker Hanji? I'll say some few things and then definitely let yes. Susan say it. You know, when you can look at a picture and you're first going to look for that spaniel look with the white blaze and the orange. Orange and white, by the way, which the Baroness, for example, thought that ducks were most attracted to that color combination. So that's why it was very much okay. the orange and white, whether that, you know, that's her belief. And so the blaze goes to the nose, the orange covers the eyes, and then you have these black earrings, which are pretty much the signature. Right. Look. The black ear tips is what I right. like. The only thing I can say, Quaker, black ear tips. Like, that's black it. That's tips. it. Exactly. And then the plumy tail. The white okay. plumy tail. But the real way that you know a Quaker in many respects is because if you look at the standard, it talks about lively, agile, self-confident. And mm. that's what they are. They prance and step in this very deliberate kind of movement. And the plume goes and the smiley face goes. And it's really fun to work with these dogs. And if you give them a job, their faces light up like, yes. Let's work together. And it's been a treat that I had no idea that I would get to have the love that I have for this dog that I do. And then I, all the I, folks that I've met through Quakers, I love as well. Yes. The dog family is a thing. So talk to us about <laughs> grooming, because that seems like that's not going to mat up. If it's type of coats I'm familiar with, it's not going to mat up. That's a brush it once a week. It really is. It's brush it. I give them baths, obviously, for dog shows, but it's not a constant bathing. And then I just clean up what I call neat in the feet because they have these little oval feet that are really quite attractive. So sometimes they can, you know, get, just get those trimmed up a little bit. Right. And that's it. Right. That's it. Clean up his teeth. Easy, low maintenance show dog. I like this. And I have to say, they're so sturdy that I've not had problems like running to the vet or those kinds of things. I can't say for everybody, but they're just, you know how some dogs are very temperamental stomachs or whatever. Mm -hmm. I don't know. The Quaker's a pretty tough little dog. I like and it. Susan can add to this too. Yeah. I was just going to say, Susan, I'm told that you're the queen of the health committee. So, <laughs> <laughs> so talk to us. I mean, every breed has a thing, you know, I mean, it's reality. All dogs, all people have things. Are there specific issues that you look for in the Quaker that you are concerned about or specifically paying attention to as you're breeding? Oh, yeah. So overall, for a breed that goes back to a very small gene pool, mm -hmm. it's a healthy breed. There are some things we do need to pay attention to. 
there are some tests we can do and for some issues and challenges and concerns, there are no tests. And it goes back to pedigree research, mm. knowing what the lines produce and whatnot. Mm. Mm. So truly knowing the lines for the last five to six generations, ideally. So there are two diseases. They're very rare, but one is lethal. So that is polymyositis. Okay. That is a muscle inflammation can affect different type of muscle groups, either the smooth muscles, some of the intestinal muscles mm -hmm. or the peripheral muscles. And ultimately the dog will die from it. And it is in the breed, happens very rarely. And tests are developed and are worked on to have a better understanding, but it seems to be a bit multifactorial, even if a dog might carry it, it might never become symptomatic. Does the research indicate that that is an autoimmune type of disorder? It falls in the category of autoimmune, mm -hmm. yes. And the other area what we see is kidney problems mm -hmm. and different, so dysplasia and other different types of kidney mm -hmm. problems. Mm -hmm. And they also pop up now and then, and it's sometimes difficult to predict. Right. And there is no test for that. So we need to be aware that that can happen. Lots of paying attention to the lines, I think, is, as you say, right. the right answer. Exactly. Okay. okay. And rare eye disease, rare cataract, we're testing for that, obviously. Then we do test for von Willebrand's and another illness. So it's called ENM, necrotizing myelopathy. Okay. There are carrier tests in the blood. And okay. that gets tested in the Netherlands, mm -hmm. the University at Utrecht. And we know if a dog is a carrier, von Willebrand's is not an issue in the breed anymore. Right. We're still testing for it. So those would be the main ones. Von Willebrand's and things like that, that you can test clear. You're so grateful to have them versus like your kidney problems that you can't test for. Right. Okay. But still, I do want to say, even if this is a big focus of mine and the community should be aware of, it is an overall pretty healthy breed. How long do they live? I mean, they're on the smaller side. Is this a yep. 15, 16, 17-year-old dog? They can turn to be 16, 17. Wow. I would say on average 13, 14 is mm -hmm. probably an average age. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Excellent. And many of them stay fit really until mm -hmm. the very end. Since the size is small, they don't usually get a lot of hip problems and they can stay active until later in life. Right. Hang tight, guys. Got a little bit of information for you. We'll be right back to the podcast in a minute. Pure Dog Talk is proudly sponsored by Trupanion, medical insurance for the life of your pet. Trupanion cares passionately about pets and makes sure their policy has what it takes to serve you and your furry companions. In fact, they are the first pet insurance provider to cover certain health conditions associated with breeding animals through their specialized breeding rider. Their industry-leading coverage does not stop there. Trupanion's free breeder support program also allows you to send your litters home protected with an offer for a Trupanion policy. Learn more about all of the perks that Trupanion offers breeders by following the link on my partner page at puredogtalk.com. This is one of AKC's low-entry breeds. This is a rare breed, legit rare. 
Do we have any idea in terms of the number of Quakers in the world, in the country, anything like that? That's a good question. And I'm hoping I'm not miscalculating this here. <laughs> so my estimate, my estimate would be in the U.S. 500 to 600. Mm -hmm. And then worldwide, that goes into the thousands with the main population being in Europe. Right. That is Western Europe. The Scandinavian countries mm -hmm. have a large population. They're pretty active in sports and agility. And then the United States, there is a pretty big population in Japan. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And I did visit a breeder even in South Africa, but the population there is very small. Mm -hmm. So new to the U.S., not new to Europe, right. small numbers here, but much larger globally. So you're able to have a little bit of genetic diversity in your breeding program. Yes. If you pay attention to the backgrounds of the lines, some of us were able to import different lines mm -hmm. from Europe with different backgrounds, obviously health and temperament being a major focus. Yes. So the diversity, but again, we need to remember they still go back to the same foundation dogs. Right. Clumber Spaniels were reduced to six individual animals that they rebuilt the entire breed from after World wow. War II. So I absolutely understand that. Talk to me a little bit about temperaments. That was a good segue that you had just a little while ago, because I have personal experience and I have anecdotal commentary. And there's sort of this rumbling at the back that they're kind of sketchy temperament wise. So talk to me about that. Where does that come from? And I want to hear from Marlene, too, in terms of what you've encountered with the dogs you've lived with sure. and just kind of get a diversity of opinion on that. Well, you know, they did have the three jobs. They had the very quiet working as the companion for tolling for the ducks, the independence, almost a little bit of a terrier kind of quality to the temperament. Mm -hmm. We're cleaning out the vermin and so forth. And then they were also protectors of the farm. So when somebody comes by my house, my quicker comes running up to me with an alarm bark okay. and says, somebody's here, somebody's here. Mm -hmm. He's very attached to the family. If a stranger came and was approaching me in any kind of uh, aggressive way or without appreciation of that he's there and barking mm -hmm. and being alarming, he would get very serious. I wouldn't say that he'd bite, but he would be very serious. Mm -hmm. And so they're a little bit like there's a 30 second rule with Quakers. You meet them and you give them 30 seconds to just think about it with you. And then when they come to you, you pretty much got a friend there and they're just a discerning group. They're discerning about whether or not they're watching, whether I'm accepting this person. If I do, they tend to. If I'm being aloof, they tend to be also. They're very kind of quick. One of the most unique things about them in my mind is that they're puzzle solvers. So almost the more complicated the situation, the more interested they are. And that's why agility is so good for them. I mean, you can really ask them to do a lot of different things. Right. And, you know, Susan has her dogs, her Quakers certified as search and rescue. That's how they can handle Mentally, they've got a lot of room. So when you have a really smart dog. It needs a job. It needs a lot of jobs. And it needs to be counting on you to keep them safe. Mm -hmm. And if you're not paying attention mm -hmm. and they have to do the job for you, yes. then you're going to see a little bit more of an assertive dog because they're just too smart. They got to take care of the situation. I have wire hair pointers. This makes total sense to me. <laughs> yeah. 
you know, is it a lab? Is it a golden? No, it's a little more complicated kind of character to mm -hmm. the dog, but it's an unbelievable deep relationship that you can have with them. Mm -hmm. And that's a really beautiful perspective. Mm -hmm. And Susan, speaking as a breeder, Marlene's a great representative from the owner perspective. As a breeder, how much does temperament come into play? Can that edge go a little too far? Right. Yeah. I totally agree with Marlene's observations. I feel that they sense they're very aware of their environment. And if something tips them off as they observe the environment, and if the owner and the handler is able to read their dog, mm -hmm. they can prevent issues and they can work on good, solid introductions on socializing and so on and so forth. It's more a breed that I feel like it needs to be managed. It's not just running parallel as it right. So there needs to be a lot of intuition and being in tune with the dog. Mm -hmm. And so from a breeding perspective, so I've been in this breed for around 23 years since my teenage years. And oh my I've noticed back then that the breed was called reserved with strangers, reserved with other dogs. Mm -hmm. And I sense that the being reserved with humans has improved a lot in those okay. 20 years. So okay. I see many very outgoing Quakers that still have that a little bit of, let me assess first, but not by far. Many love to be touched, many like cuddles after the introduction. And 20 years ago, I didn't experience it that often. With other dogs, they, in my opinion, have a bigger personal space than a oh, breed. Like I'm just going to compare in generalities to a Cavalier or a Labrador. Mm -hmm. So a Quaker is really good in body language and they expect the other dog to have appropriate body language as well. Yeah. So if another dog comes rushing up at them, that is overwhelming and they might snarl, they might react timid. And so mm -hmm. it's too much for them. They are very much into appropriate behavior. Appropriate. I love that. That is so, <laughs> that's actually a really great description. Yeah. I spent a lot of years with Akitas and I explained to people, yeah. they're like people, right? Yeah. Like you wouldn't come up and hug a random stranger right. around the neck. Please don't do it to my Akita. Yep. <laughs> he will bite you, <laughs> you know? Yep. Yes. If things get a little too much chaos and too noisy or all kinds of strange things, my coworker just looks at me with a look like, come on, get this under control. This is really bothering me. And then really wants to get like, you to get it. to Appropriate. Take it up. Yeah. Everybody get under control here. Tea time, people. <laughs> Tea time. Okay. So that's really, really, really interesting. And so, I mean, you're kind of alluding to it, but let's put it on the table. Who makes a great Quaker owner? You're looking for a new home for your puppies. Who is the perfect home and who is the like, nope, sorry, dude, it's not for you. If people are interested in a puppy, I try to meet them in person, have them meet my dogs and different ages of Quakers. And mm -hmm. my experiences are really mixed. Of course, I'm always interested if someone has had experience with a little bit, either trained a dog in something or has owned or still owns another breed that has more of the same characteristics. So then I know, okay, they might understand what I'm talking about. However, I've had families coming from, in my opinion, even more challenging breeds, and they were surprised how strong they need to be as an owner with a Quaker. So okay. I want to say dog experience is important. Mm -hmm. 
I want to say an active family, an active person. It doesn't have to be a family. They adore one person mm -hmm. as well. That is important. They can live in an apartment. They don't need a big farm if they get the right physical and mental exercise. Mm -hmm. And many Koikers in Europe are really more living with families and they don't even have a job. But I think the owner really needs to be in tune with the dog. And it's not just about socializing in the first few months. Right. It's not about over-socializing. That can be overwhelming for the breed too. It's about bringing the dog along, watching the reaction, and really monitoring that through adolescence into young adulthood. A Koiker is not solid until they are truly adults and take three, four years. Okay. That's good to know. If they have that understanding and also patience mm -hmm. to look, to wait for the right combination, there are many, many breeding dogs have and inherit very different temperaments. Mm. And if somebody has dog experience, has some patience, has an intuition and understanding, I think that makes the best owner for this breed. Okay. All right. Marlene, what do you think? You know, I'm thinking about families with very young children mm. might not be the best because as a puppy, you don't really know if that's that temperament that's going to be very easygoing or if all of that kind of high screaming that little children can be mm -hmm. might be a little too much for the dog. Mm -hmm. So I know some people feel it's a family dog. Yes. But I almost feel like it needs to be more school age kids and up, right. you know, and then right. Susan just mentioned single folks as well. Actually, now over the years, meeting different people that have gotten Quakers that were very much like myself, like, you know, I'm interested in this rare breed. And once you sort of get a rare breed, all of a sudden you kind of feel responsible to it. Yes. You're responsible for taking care of the breed. Yes. So me plus others have joined our breed club. We never did anything like this before. We go and get lessons in rally or agility or none of us have done this before. And we're all talking about these activities with our dogs that take us to places our own hearts have never been. And I think that the dogs do need that kind of activity. They're so smart. They just love to work with you. So I would want to see an ideal situation where it really is about a family that understands that they're not just getting a dog, they're getting a right. full on member of the family that right. has as much need for education and activity and sports as <laughs> anybody else does kind of thing. right so you've got soccer practice and then you've got agility practice it's all right. the same <laughs> exactly that and is awesome it's very much fun to watch even new people coming to the dog shows you know mm -hmm. it brought a revival for me too of I love purebred dogs and why and learning about it and the judges at the dog shows that my dog happens to be quite successful Susan is a co-breeder. Cheryl Fuller is the breeder also of Waterbound Quakers in Texas. He has two best in shows. Oh my gosh. The only Quaker in the history of the breed. To I was just going to say, I didn't think there were any. So there you go. It took judges that themselves are devoted to learn about rare breeds, right. to appreciate what the breeders did with him, who he was as a dog mm -hmm. in a rare breed, young to the United States. So it's in hand with the judges learning and appreciating as much that is going to help our breed. And so back to, we have now new people with new Quakers. 
coming and showing up and we're all helping each other learn how to show our dogs. And we have these judges saying, thank you for showing us all of these lovely dogs. Right. So she said five, 600 in the country. Right mm-hmm. now, I would say we have about 50 active people showing dogs at the shows, which if you think about the percentage, wow. not so bad. That's Don't 10% of your entire breed population. That's pretty yeah. impressive. That's very impressive. Okay. All right. Well, we are at about the end of our time. Anything from either of you that you would like to use as a wrap up to say the Quaker is? <laughs> well, I would say it's a dainty, pretty, sensitive, active, and very versatile dog with low maintenance that needs the very special owner with the right intuition. Excellent summation. Marlene. It's hard to beat that one. I know. you got to top that, man. I don't know. <laughs> I'll just share a story of my experience. So we're getting ready to go to this show, and hopefully we could win the sporting group and maybe compete for best in show. So we travel, fly. My dog flies a lot with me. We get to the hotel. We're a day early, and there's this dam, a pond, and I need to go take my dog out for a walk. So he goes out walking without a leash and he just starts trotting along and I look up and I see a duck and then he's trotting along and I look up a few seconds later and there's 10 ducks and then he's moving right along in this very deliberate, quiet movement, just like, just like, I felt like I went back to centuries, the way he was moving quietly along and I quit counting at 35 ducks within a matter of following him, following him following him the next day we go to the show so i get to have my dog do his quaker thing and we get best in show oh my gosh that's a great story i don't know what i loved more (laughs) i love watching the ducks just as much i couldn't believe it just the natural connection was there that's pretty amazing that is a very very cool story And I really appreciate you ladies taking the time to share your stories with me and with all of our listeners, because purebred dogs are such an amazing part of world history. And they represent such a special place and a special people, individual people and populations and learning more about each of them is a treasure. And I appreciate your time. Thanks for letting us be here. Thank you for having us. All right, you all. I am so excited to let you know that Revival Animal Health is now a proud sponsor of Pure Dog Talk. Revival Animal Health understands your commitment to be a dog breeder. And that's why Revival is the place to turn for all your dog breeding needs. As the pet vaccine experts, Revival is number one in selection. Breeders trust Revival to protect their moms and get their puppies off to a strong start. Revival offers a complete line of breeding products from pregnancy and whelping and newborn care to Revival's own reproductive and neonatal health brand, Breeder's Edge. Revival's Director of Veterinary Services, somebody you might know, Dr. Marty Greer, is a leading expert in canine reproduction and neonatal care. Revival's online learning center is filled with free articles, videos, and webinars 
sharing insights and tips on pet health topics, including breeding and newborn care. When you call Revival, a friendly and knowledgeable pet care pro will greet you. Revival's pet care pros receive regular training and are available to answer your dog breeding questions. Learn more today at RevivalAnimal.com. Like the NPR of dogdom, Pure Dog Talk is here for you to make sense out of everyday things, to add nuance to your understanding and tools to your tech box, to bring history to life and propel the living history of purebred dogs into the future. As always, if you have any questions or input, we'd love to hear from you. The show notes and links to resources on today's topic are available at puredogtalk.com. Drop us a note in the comments or email to laura at puredogtalk.com. Remember, guys, this podcast is for you. So if you want to know something, give me a holler. We'll do a podcast for you. If you wouldn't mind, you could help me out here. Take a couple minutes to visit iTunes and give us a review. The Dog Show Superintendents Association is a proud supporter of Pure Dog Talk. Our dog show superintendents are the hardworking people who make the dog show function. They are advocates for education and mentorship in the purebred dog fancy. So stop by the Supers desk at your next show. Tell them how much you love Pure Dog Talk and give them a shout out for their support. That's all for today. Thank you for joining us on Pure Dog Talk. 